Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. We're so excited. We have another show to, to, uh, for you this morning, and this is probably going to be um, controversial, mainly because it seems like there's a lot of different views on this topic, and we are getting close to an election season, which means you're probably going to hear a lot of political talk in your circles, but maybe... Just maybe you're probably hearing it within the sanctuary or the narthex of your congregation, and maybe you feel indifferent about it. And that's what we are going to be talking about today. Uh, before I introduce uh, my co-host, I just want to say, if you listened to our last episode that Micah, I, and um, Jeanette Flynn did about interim pastors, she mentioned a document that she has written to kind of propose you know, the importance of interim work and what they do and how they can be kind of the catalyst for change, a culture change within the church. And um, that document is actually on the episode page on our website, thescottstedman.com. You could just go there to thescottstedman.com. Just look for that episode with Jeanette Flynn. Just kind of look at the show notes and there should be a link to that um, document that you should be able to pull up, read, print off, um, and enjoy. So for those of you who are listening on the audio version or those who are watching on YouTube and you're like, I can't find that link, you have to go to the website to pull that up. And that is thescottstedman.com. So joining me today is Micah Current. Micah, what's going on, my friend? Oh, it's another week. I'm glad to, to start another week with you and um, always enjoy doing this. Um, I finished my master's degree. Awesome. I turned in my last assignment on, I think, Thursday last week. And um, I will actually, I think it's tomorrow where it's going to be conferred and awarded and whatever. Um, but yeah, year and a half, cranked a master's program out in a year and a half while working full time, having a nervous breakdown and trying to figure out this life. And so um, super excited to, to be done and see what's next um, in my journey in higher ed. And um, there will be a doctorate in my future. I just, my wife has requested that I take a year or so off before, before pursuing that. And, um, but Your yeah, wife it's been is a, a wise person. <laughs> well, and I, and I, I totally agree with her too. And then like the way that Miami works is that I think the doctorate, um, if you're applying to be in the doctoral program, you have to apply in Jan by January, like the third or something like that, the very beginning of the year to be accepted. And then they start the new cohorts in August. And so yeah. I've already passed the date. So like the earliest I could start is fall of 25. So, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. I'm, if I do it, which I would like to do it, I think what I'm going to do is just take a class at a time and just see how it goes and um, learn about research and, and, I really have a, I have a topic in mind already with, for what I want to do my dissertation on. So um, it's just a matter of uh, taking the time. Did you, um, so speaking of which, just a little side tangent, did you, um, did you, when you, I know you're doing a project, is it, is it necessarily a dissertation? So, yeah. So kind of, it's interesting because a lot of times with it, it i think there's a distinction between a phd which you could do and a then, phd in ministry or you can do a doctor in ministry both okay. of them are going to award you the title of doctor mm -hmm. but a phd is basically like a philosophical degree 
So basically what that means is if you are going for a PhD, you are writing a dissertation, you are writing something that you think or believe or something that you think may be beneficial that may make a contribute to society. So that could be just like um, a certain like viewpoint of a scripture, or it could be a certain practice within a certain denomination, your personal denomination, or just the church at large, that you can do something. With a D-min, you can write a dissertation. There is an opportunity to do that. The other thing they want you, the, the other thing you can do is you can do a research project, which is basically you have this viewpoint. So you interview like almost kind of like a Barna group study. You're interviewing a large pool of people and you're getting data and you're basically saying, okay, here's what the data suggests. So kind of like a little bit of our topic today, there's some stats, there's some statistics. Um, that's going to kind of show something and you have to write about, well, what does this mean? What I'm doing is I am doing an impact study. So mine is I'm going to be having a small group of about hopefully 12 individuals. Um, and we're going to be going through disciples. a study. To 12 disciples. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to be perfect. Maybe that's what I should call. It. I had 12 disciples from central Ohio, um, but um, no, um, but I'll be doing a impact study. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have them do a survey at the beginning of the study to see what they know about a particular topic, what my topic is about. And then at the end of our study together, I'm going to give them another survey, it's almost the same survey. And I'm going to be gauging, you know, if things have improved, things are at the same. So kind of looking at the effectiveness of this impact study and that and how that can impact the local church or impact the churches at large. So kind of like what Jeanette did with the with her document about interim work. It's almost like I'm doing the same thing, except, um, you know, it's a lot more pages and I get a degree that I worked for and not an honorary one. <laughs> Because I'm so, not old, I'm not rich, and I'm not famous. Right, as we talked about last week. Um, so did you start writing like day one? I have a reason why I'm asking. Did you yeah, like so, know what you were gonna do day one? Did you did you have an idea? So I had a lot of multiple ideas. So a lot of multiple okay. ideas that I had. Um, and I think a lot of it, so what was helpful is like before I even took my first class, I went and talked to the a director of the doctorate program and talking about certain ideas. And I kind of said, like, here's some of the ideas that I have. And it seemed like, you know, the one that probably was most fitting. And I think the one that I was kind of more leaning towards anyway, and this was more of confirmation was the one that I'm doing now. Um, so, so actually what was helpful is because with each of my basic classes, because the way Ashlyn does it, you have your three core classes and your three track classes. So since, I, and they have a different of doctor of ministry, you have a, can have a doctor of ministry in black church studies, um, a doctor of ministry in leadership. So that's the track that I'm in leadership. So I took three leadership classes and three core classes. And each of those classes, you have to write a paper that, hopefully ties into your project. So the benefit- So you're of, building on your research. You're building on your research. So when I go to do my research, I have already had six sessions already on my research. I already have a list of my 
books, journal articles and stuff that I can easily go back to and look at and build off that. So it kind of makes the project a little bit more, I wouldn't say easier, but it makes it a lot more convenient because you already have all your resources together and yeah. you don't have to worry about Well, now, if you don't have an idea for your project, you can still take your classes. You could still do something based on whatever, but when you get to the time of, okay, now it's time to do your project, um, your um, project thesis, you need to know what the heck you're doing. <laughs> you know, so you have literally six semesters to figure out what you're doing before you start getting into the grind. So that's well, kind of it. The reason I ask is because a lot of, you know, people people will get an, you know, advanced degree with, you know, a master's degree or they'll, they'll, they'll pursue a, you know, a PhD doctorate. And uh, a lot of reasons, you know, like my wife, for example, she has a master's degree, but she says she has no desire whatsoever to do a PhD. And the reason being is that, you know, it's a lot of reading, it's a lot of research, and sometimes it can take a long, you know, a longer period of time. It can take four to six years to do your doctorate. And but what I'm seeing a lot of programs do now is if you start writing and know what you want to do your dissertation on day one, you go in to do your doctorate. And let's say you have three years of coursework. You know, your what your dissertation is going to be day one. You start writing day one while you're taking your classes. And then by the time you get down to, to, to year three or you know three and a half, you've already got your dissertation basically written. And you have your coursework done. So that way you're, you're, you're going to graduate quicker. And I've, I've noticed, you know, cause well, I work in higher ed, but like it, that seems to be a trend these days to get folks to get their doctorates quicker to, and, and you know, that, that trend being, you know, start day one with your dissertation. By the time you get done with the coursework, you're having your dissertation. So like you finish your coursework, you defend your dissertation, and you graduate in three, three and a half years yeah, versus six years, four years, five years, whatever it may be. And um, the place where I did my undergrad, uh, West Liberty, which is a college in West Virginia, they just started a doctor to bed program. And it's kind of that that's the way they're doing it. It's literally day one. You start writing, taking classes. And by the time you get done year three, you're already written your you've already written your dissertation. So like all that to say, I had uh, a conversation with with one of the advisors at Miami and they they're doing uh, uh, an interdisciplinary program where it's like a PhD in educational leadership. And then they have an EDD, which is again, like you said earlier, a PhD doctorate, it's a doctorate, but with just different letters. Yeah. And um, so the PhD in inter, uh, interdisciplinary studies with the philosophy of education. If I know what my topic is day one, I can start writing, take my classes, finish, and then defend my dissertation. So yeah, um, absolutely. I'm going to, the idea I really wanted to focus on was coming out of the pandemic with ed educational technology and like the need and the lack of, um, you know, funds and school districts and, you know, things like that, where a lot of schools like were sending kids home to learn from home, learn from home and not have the proper technology to do so, uh, whether that's a tablet or a, a laptop or whatever. Or even um, just consistent, good Internet. Yes, that too. Um, so, and then the advancement of technology with the whole artificial intelligence and, you know, X, Y, Z. So without going down a huge rabbit hole, I think we should, we should do some stories on wild. What do you think? Yeah. So I have a good one. So it actually happened yesterday. So 
Fresh. Like, I've, I've, I've made it. So we had a drummer. So we have a worship, our contemporary worship band at nine o'clock. We had a drummer who ended up having some health issues and because had surgery and ongoing health issues. And because of that, I've been filling in and eventually got to the point where after our worship leader was checking on him, our pastor was checking on him, uh, just kind of to the point where he's like, you know, doesn't even want to talk anymore. It's just, and I think a lot of that's just due to, you know, go to get this issue taken care of. And it was a lot worse than what it was. And it's an ongoing thing. So just kind of back up. So I've been filling in since, oh, uh, I want to say, I want to say I've probably been filling in since like maybe November, October, November. So I've been filling in for a lot of months. So finally we have a new drummer coming in. I can be done. So actually he starts the second of Feb uh, the second Sunday in February. So I'm pretty much done. Cause I think next week they're doing a hymn sing. So I don't have to play drums at all next week. So, so last Sunday was my last Sunday to play drums. So needless to say, we have an electric drum set and I hate that thing with a passion because it, the pads are small. And sometimes when I'm playing, some things get loose and I'm like trying to fix them. And one of the things is the snare and the snares is big, gigantic pole that kind of shoots out from one of the stable legs and it just kind of comes out so I can like kind of hit it. Well, the problem with it is, is occasionally it will slowly start to slip out. And you know, because it starts getting lower and lower and then my legs are higher, <laughs> excuse me, than the snare. So we're practicing and I'm noticing it, it's starting to get low. So I'm like, okay, so I go and I'm trying to, you know, fix it, get it all in, get it. So it's not going to fall out. And most of the time I do that and it's fine through the set so we go service starts we start playing the first song we're playing um your great name by natalie grant we're playing that song that's our opener and it's a slow song but then it builds and has a lot of like good heavy drum parts so i'm like all right so i get to the song and i start playing and all of a sudden i'm every hit that snare is going down and I'm like, okay. So then I stop mid-play just to kind of push it back up so I can keep playing. And one hit and the thing falls completely off the drum set. <laughs> so it's then, not funny because I've been there before. It's so, so bad. So, and luckily I'm like, oh crap. So then I pick it up and put my hand, be like literally lean, grab the support and jam it in and just kind of really push, push, push. And then I kind of go with the song and I finish out that song. And then after the song, I get up from the drum set. I go down so I can make my announcements. And then as I'm walking back, the pastor begins to say, hey, just to let everyone know, in two weeks, we're going to have a new drummer. And Scott has been filling in this whole time. So everybody's clapping for me. And I couldn't even appreciate the applause because I'm looking over at the worship leader. I go, man, the one time that they're going to applaud me is the day that the snare falls off and I have to stop playing to fix it during a mid song. And this worship leader's dying laughing. And I'm just like, oh, great. And then we went into playing a couple of other songs. And then the last song that I played before I had to go teach children's church was a behold and man that song's just like a slow 
role on the snare the whole song with occasionally a couple hits i'm like man he really wants to work my forearms and it was it was brutal and (laughs) so i'm like i'm done i'm glad i'm done playing drums i don't want to play drums ever again if and if this i hope this drummer works out i hope they don't quit like mid thing because i really don't want to have to get back on that drum set again (laughs) but that's my story's gone wild and I'm sure for any of you musicians, you probably know the pain of being during worship or during a actual live set. And then all of a sudden your string breaks on your guitar or your strap breaks and your guitar hits the ground or something. Or your stick flies off into the audience while you hit the cymbal and everything. <laughs> oh, Michael, what about you? What's your uh, what's your story has gone wild? Um, I'm trying to think of like, cause I'm a drummer too. And like, I, I was thinking like, man, there's been countless times where, where stuff has gone wrong and, um, cymbal stands will break, the cymbal cracks, the cymbal falls off the stand, the bass drum pedal breaks, the snare drum falls off mm-hmm. the stand, the, the microphone for the, you know, that's mounted on the drum you know, just falls on the drum while you're, you know, drumming mid service in the middle of a song. Um, you break a stick. Um, it, there's so many things that happen in the life of a worship drummer. We're a drummer, period. Um, and also I think of, uh, you know, just, I hate electronic drums. So it's just about as bad as you do. But like when you think about the drum rolling, you're talking about that last song, right? So like when you're rolling on a snare drum, the snare doesn't keep up with it on an electronic drum set. It's just, it's, it's, it's doing the best it can because it's artificial, but it's, it's just not good. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember playing with electronic drums, you know, several times and I'm just like, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. Why can't we have real drums? (laughs) Why can't we have real drums? Um, speaking of instruments, so, I was worship pastor at a church. This was years ago. And, um, you know, you talk about dropping a guitar. So I have, you know, several guitars. One of them is a Martin that I spent a really significant amount of money on. And we had ran rehearsal one morning at this church. And my strap came undone off my guitar and I dropped my Martin on the, on this platform. And, um, it, it cracked the back of it. And I was so sick at my stomach because it was the amount of money I spent on it. It was my favorite guitar, you know, X, Y, Z. I kept that sucker in the case for like probably four or five months after. And I didn't even open it to try to fix it. I was so mad. Um, and so, um, yeah, I've been there. The, I was having worship fails before worship fails was a, was a following on Instagram and <laughs> TikTok and whatever. So, um, another, another quick one with instruments. I, uh, I played drums for an Easter service this past year and, um, it was kind of a combination of an electronic kit and then like real symbol symbols. Like, so I had a hi hat and a real ride symbol. And I can't tell you how difficult that is to play kind of the hybrid of that because it's like, you don't want to hit, you can hit the electronic drums as hard as you want, but 
you can't hit the symbols as hard as you want, especially in a smaller space, because people will be like, oh, it's too loud. It's this, it's that. And so um, I got there, we ran through rehearsal, and I'm like, I remember like playing, um, you know, one of the songs, and I'm like, man, this ride cymbal is really, really loud <laughs> compared to the rest of the drum set because of, you know, it being an electronic kit. Um, but yeah, we should just do a podcast on that. Instrument fails. Like yeah. I remember, I remember one time I was playing electronic kit and you know how like some of the electronic bass drums, like they, they're just, they're literally just uh, the foot pedal and then like the pad where you kick it. I remember one time it just fell completely off the platform where I was at because there, there's nothing for it to stick on. Like it's, it, it it's keeps, very. Every time you kick it, it keeps sliding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Oh goodness. So, so anyway, what are we talking about today? Controversial. So today right? we're so yeah. So today we're talking about uh, politics in the church, and especially it seems like, and I don't know about you, Micah, but it seems like every church that I have been a part of, I walk in to the church, getting stuff ready, getting ready to have this um, service where I get to proclaim the word of God and have this nice time of worship, singing praises to God. And yet, as the narthex starts to fill up, as the Sunday school classrooms begin to fill up, as the sanctuary begins to fill up, a lot of times what I'm hearing talked about within those spaces is politics and not just hey political views or anything else it's usually this person is garbage that person is garbage anybody who votes this way or votes for this person is not a believer they're not a christian and a it gets to a point where pastors and everybody else gets to this point where it becomes very um tense and especially at least i feel like not even uh, during an election year it gets a lot worse occasionally you hear it here there but it seems like the closer we get into an election year which today's 2024 is an election year and the closer you get to november the worse and the intensity everything gets um and it just becomes a place where just talking with people where they just don't like it and some reason some reasons why some people have left the church and have a hard time going back to church is because they just don't want to hear all the political talk so that's what we're talking about today so what are your thoughts about all that i have a lot of thoughts um I, I don't know where you want to want to begin with this, but like, I, I just think that I was thinking about this last night as you texted me and told me what we were going to talk about and praying through it and thinking. Um, kind of the kind of the word that came to mind was like, how do or how do we love like Jesus loved? And oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, I, I just something that I really struggle with. Is that like it's it's hard to not have conversations about politics because sometimes they just they creep into the church. I think that there's yeah. a time and a place for it. That the narthex of the church, which by the way, my wife thinks the word narthex is funny because in the south they don't really say that. 
um, like where she's from anyway. So um, she's like, what's a narthex? So I had to kind of tell her what Sounds like a larynx. Yes, that too. Um, but, you know, it's something that's really hard for me is it's like, you know, I think we did a, we did, didn't we do a podcast about, you know, the Roe versus Wade thing and abortion? Did we talk about we that? Talked, we talked about the whole issue. We think we did. We talked about the issue one in the state of Ohio. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that. So, okay. Yeah. So, you know, thinking through that, for example, like there, there are several hot button topics going into an election cycle and the election cycle just ramps that up, you know, tenfold. And so I think that like, you know, as we've gotten older, you and I, Scott, like the idea of, I just remember being in high school or in middle school and like there being in a presidential election. And I don't remember it being as tense as it is now. And I don't know if you feel that way or not. And I don't know if it's because we were oblivious because we were kids. Um, but it just seems now more than ever that it's just so much more um, intense. It's mm-hmm. so much more, there's so much more friction. There's so much more debate on what, what people think. And I, and I, I don't think that the internet helps that by any means. Like, People can see stuff, you know, with the the click of a button on their phone, uh, on their laptops or tablets, et cetera. Um, We're just constantly connected to the news. And um, it's just, it's very hard to have conversations with people. And that's, that's the thing that's most heartbreaking to me. Um, And I've shared multiple times that I'm, I'm fairly conservative in my beliefs, but I'm willing to have the conversation with people, which I think that's a thing that people these days aren't willing to do is have a conversation, which is what democracy is um, having a conversation. And so, you know, without having this deep rooted conversation about how corrupt I think our government is and how corrupt I think politics in the country are um, there, there regardless of the side that you're on, it's, it's, it's very obvious that, um, that there's there's stuff going on that we don't even know or understand. And so um the thing that kind of is fascinating to me is that like the election cycles get so tense even outside of the church but also inside of the church. It's just everywhere, right? And so like I think that um it's it's fascinating in a sense because like you have an incumbent president right now for example who is 80 years old. And if he gets reelected this year, he'll be the oldest sitting president in the United States history. Then you've also got former president Donald Trump, who has a massive following, regardless of whether you love him, hate him, think he's arrogant, think he's brash, think that, you know, he's guilty of all 872 indictments that he's had, whatever it may be. Right. Um, It's it. What's fascinating to me is that, like, okay, if people don't like Biden. Great. If people don't like Trump, great. However, there's nobody else, right? Like, and they're old, and people think that, like, why? Why are these two old guys running for president again? Like, but there's no change, right? And so, like, that that's a whole separate conversation. But I think within the church, it's it's very very difficult to have those conversations because people are very opinionated. Whether it's abortion, whether it's same sex marriage, LGBTQ rights. Um, uh, diversity, uh, yeah, racism, yeah, like it, it's just, gone. there's 
drugs can use drugs, alcohol, like, and I think what it boils down to is the theology of the church too, that you're a part of too. Like there, you know, some churches uh, are very conservative in respect to we're not going to drink, you know? Uh, and we talked about issue one, we talked about, you know, the legalization of you know cannabis in, in, in the state of Ohio. So like, yeah. how, how do you have that conversation now? Because some people use it medicinally for marijuana. I'm not marijuana, yeah. but for cancer treatments. And yeah. um, I, I don't know. I didn't know where you wanted to go with this conversation. Yeah, I mean, like so, you can... so you bring up, well, I think what you just described there is the complexity of the issue. And you're, you're not mistaken because this is a, this is a article from, uh, November 1st, 2022. And this is from Christianity Today. And um, they did a, they did some, uh, they looked at some research from Lifeway and they looked at research in 2022 and also looked at the same survey they did back in 2017. So, and I'm just going to read just a couple of these findings. So uh, the question is, my political view matches those of most people at my church. Basically, meaning, you know, if I'm a Republican, most people within the congregation I worship at are Republican. 11% say strongly agree, and 39% say somewhat agree. This is in 2017. Asked the same question in 2022. That had jumped up to 21% who strongly agree. So that's a massive increase. And then it's 34% of somewhat agree. Same thing. I prefer to attend a church where people share my political views. 2017, 12%. In 2022, that has jumped up to 19%. So mm. we have seen this shift of this growing. Even, even um, another survey, I prefer to attend a church where people share my political views. 50% of the people interviewed agreed. 41% disagreed. Um, my political views match that of most people at my church. 55% of the people agreed, 23% disagreed. So what we have been seeing, at least within the last couple of years, is we have been seeing this increase of our congregations becoming more polarized, especially if you worship at a place where you know that, hey, there are some people who, if the election was to happen right now, they're probably going to vote republican or conservative and there's going to be some people who are going to vote uh democratic or uh, for vote for a democrat or vote for um you know progressive or liberal um viewpoint and you just see that that's becoming increasingly more and because that's becoming increasingly more that more people want to find a place that fits their political ideology that that is starting to cause a fracture and, you know, that's kind of where we see this research. I know there's some people who say, hey, you know, that's a good thing. Because if I can go to a church where my politics match those of the people who I'm worshiping with and match the pastor's politics and and all that stuff, then that means there's going to be more unity in the church. And if there's more unity in the church, then that's a good thing. However... Uh, there's an article in September 1st, and this is by Christian Standard. It says, what's the problem with politics in church? And basically the author who is uh, uh, Ben, and I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Kekaris, um, right, saying, hey, there has been such a polarization that there's a lot of people who not only within outside the church, people who don't attend church, people who we would say, you know, are not Christians, 
uh, they don't want to have anything to do with the church because they just see the church as another like political part of the political machine. And now you're seeing people within the church having that same polarization. And kind of the four points on the problem is having politics in your church distorts our identity. It divides our body. It destroys our witness and it distracts us from our mission. And that's kind of Ben's main four points in this article. So you can see that even with these articles from Christianity Today and from Christian Standard, like there is this polarization between is it good, is it bad? Should Christians be vocal about their political beliefs or should they not? Even if you go up to the upper thing, should pastors preach their preach politics from the pulpit? Should you have organizations like political organizations come into your church and do like a special talk, whether that's on a Sunday morning or whether that's like a special weekly event or Sunday evening? Like, is that something? Should we have literature that tells people, hey, here's who you should vote for? Like, these are things that in most cases kind of kind of become very big issues with people and you know the people who want it who say yeah that's a good thing you know they have the reasons why and the people who say this is a bad thing they have the reasons why so that think it brings a lot of complexity to the situation yeah and it's I, I keep saying the word hard because it is hard it's hard to to have these conversations or you know, even as a leader of a church, you have to like, you know, like if, if somebody's sitting there out there in the hallway, you know, or poor church having, you know, conversations politically, like it's like, Hey guys, can we just, can we just focus on why we're here and not, not do that. And then you have people that are mad at you because you, you called them out. Um, but, uh, well, let's start with like, is it, appropriate to to do that in the church like and what i mean by that is preach from the pulpit and and and, and not preach from the pulpit like do preach politics from the pulpit um oh man That's... it gets it gets super it gets super sticky because like you talk about abortion for example and you know if we believe the 10 commandments for for an example you know thou shalt not murder and you know some people believe that abortion is murder you know and if you um you know, my wife always says that, you know, if, 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 if Scott's driving down the road and he, he gets in a car accident and he hits a pregnant woman, it's considered a double homicide. But yeah. if a person has an abortion, it's only taking one life. And so, but that's not considered murder. It's abortion. So yeah, that's, a, think, that's one example. Yeah. And so there is, and I think here's where it makes it be sticky from preaching politics from the pulpit. Um, I can't remember the year, but it was during the Trump administration, there was a repeal of the Johnson Amendment. And the Johnson Amendment basically was that a religious or nonprofit organization maybe I could not endorse a could not endorse a presidential candidate. So you can't endorse a presidential candidate. You cannot, you know, push for a certain political, view like you can't say to a congregation 
you need to vote yes or vote no for this particular issue. You cannot explicitly say that because you could use your you can lose your 501c3. That was kind of a big mm. thing. During the Trump administration, that had been repealed. So now technically churches can, I mean, you can have, you know, your Greg Locks of the world saying, hey, you need to vote for President Trump. And if you vote for, you know, Sleepy Joe or whatever, you know, trying to, you know, channel my inner Greg Lockness, which going to hate myself afterwards um like you do yeah. that and it's like um and then it's like you can get away with that because there's no government bounding law now that says hey you're telling people how to vote and you have you're in a position of great influence in your religious organization so you need to so you're going to lose your 501c3 and you know so there's a lot of that but then the example, and I'll tell share an example of a time where I was preaching something. It was during the, it was right after the Capitol riots. I was already preaching through the book of Romans. And the Sunday I was preaching particular was the apostle Paul basically saying to the Jew, the Jewish Christians saying, Hey, the things that you're doing and the things that you're saying to these Gentile Christians is creating a stumbling block to them. And basically, you know, this kind of paraphrase the apostle Paul is, you know, you know, you're basically making a mockery of who Jesus is and the teachings of Jesus by doing these things. Okay. So I'm preaching Romans and I'm trying to find a good example. And I'm struggling to find like a good, like sermon illustration. And I said, you know, what would be a great example? The Capitol riots, because there's the Jesus saves flag. That was flown mm-hmm. in the midst of that. Like that was something that I was watching on the TV when it all happened. So the whole thing of my message that I focused on when I talked about the capital rights was the Jesus saves flag. And I said, what does that communicate to the world about who Jesus is, who God is, and who Christians are or the church? That was what I said. Now, there were some people in the church who did not believe that I was preaching politics when I shared that message. There were some people who thought that I was being political by saying that message to the point where there was some money who left the church over that. And, you know, I made sure. And again, like when I was being accused of preaching politics from the pulpit, I said, Hey, since we have it online, I shared it with my pastor buddies in the area. I shared it with some of my mentors back in Ohio, even kind of, send it over and say, hey, can you look at this section? Not like watch the whole thing, but can you look at this section and can you tell me if I'm preaching politics or not? And the consensus through kind of like my mentors was, no, you weren't preaching politics. Even within my elder board, there were some who thought I was preaching politics and there were some who was like, absolutely not. He was not preaching politics. He basically said, the whole thing, and, and even if my board, I had to walk them through. I'm like, okay, did I mention Joe Biden? Did I mention Donald Trump in the message? Did I mention Republicans or Democrats? Did I mention any type of politically charged group like Antifa or Black Lives Matters? What did I say? And someone said, you said the Jesus saves flag. You mentioned the Jesus saves flag at the Capitol riots. And how does that represent Jesus, God, and the church and i said is that a political statement and the person said no it's not 
And then I ask the question, then why are we having this conversation right now? If I'm not preaching politics and that's the charge against me, why have we sat here for an hour, an hour and a half talking about this when I did was not preaching politics from the pulpit? And that was, and, they, and it was literally silence from that. And I mean, I think, and that's just an example, and that's just one example of the many stories that I'm sure a lot of pastors can say that they're trying to say, hey, I don't think it's good for us to um, separate, you know, immigrants that are coming over here illegally. I don't think it's good that we separate children from their mothers. I think that's bad or separate families. Or we put them in cages. That's bad. We don't think. I don't think that we should do that. And the Bible says that we should be respectful to the alien or the foreigner that is among us. Oh, pastors preaching politics. Dudes preaching Deuteronomy. Like that's that's the Bible. Um, and I think there was even an article years ago where I, or actually probably months ago, where somebody accused a pastor of being political because he was saying something. He says basically all I was doing was reading the Bible. I was reading the words of Jesus and someone got mad at me that I was being political because I was reading the red letters in the Bible. So I think the <laughs> preaching of which I think the preaching of politics is very charged because I think if you read the Bible, it's going to offend people who are, I think it's going to offend people who are way on the right. And I think it's going to offend people who are way on the left when you read the bible and i think that's kind of the culture we're in now where even just reading the bible verbatim word for word it can be used against the pastor and get a pastor fired because they're preaching politics even though they are reading from the bible yeah and, and that's hard <laughs> well well and i think too that like one of the, the most difficult things is that like what's well, i know we're talking politics in the church right yeah. Like political season in church. Take that out for a second, but also think about what your theology is, right? Mm -hmm. Your theology can very much, you know, agree with things like we don't agree with drinking. We don't agree with drug use. We don't agree that abortions are okay. We don't agree that, you know, um, about same sex marriages or same sex relationships. Um, and if that's your theology as a church, you know what I mean? Like, and, and then you insert the politics conversation back into it. I think, I think that there's, there's two ways of handling this, right? Like your theology can be what you believe, but you're not up there preaching. You're not being a spokesperson for Republicans or Democrats or the president or mayor or governor or whoever. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. I think that like there's a, there's a fine line between going out there and like, and like you said earlier, like do we have people come and they're like, you know, people that are pro-life and, and, and speak during our services or do we have people come and talk about, um, you know, cancer research and cannabis or do we have people come and talk about, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, 
that's where it gets super sticky because it's like, okay, if we as a church, as a denomination or whoever, what church we're serving, I, I think it's kind of like, I'm trying to be careful with what I say, but it's like, you know, I think Scott, you said openly that, you know, you, you work in a UMC church and you've been in a UMC church for almost two years and the UMC church, I think you said this, but like, Everybody's like, well, Scott's going to a UMC church and they're, they, they, they're super liberal and they, they support, you know, LGBTQ. And I'm like, well, yes and no, because there's multiple versions of the UMC. There's, and, and, and here's the thing. And I'll say this about the UMC. When I was working in as a pastor, or even when I was doing interim work at, you know, you know, these smaller, you know, church of God churches, um, most of the time I was always hearing a political discussion, whether it was during Sunday school, whether it was in the hallway, I was always hearing politics and especially like this year in 2024, even probably back in like whenever the, um, oh, what are they called? Oh my gosh. The primaries or whenever they have the big, like democratic or Republican debates to see who's going to be the next person running for a president, um, you know, those usually start like a year, you know, usually back in like May of last year, you know, you'll start starting ramping those up. You know, already people are talking about politics, like even way before. I have been at this church for, you know, you know, almost, almost two, years. two years. And I have never once in the sanctuary, in the hallways, in the Sunday school rooms, in Bible study, even in the offices with other staff, not once have I heard anybody talk about politics at all. Which I was even telling, I was even, I had dinner with a with a friend of mine um, just this past week. And I was saying like, you know what? It's a breath of fresh air when I can walk into a church and I'm not hearing someone talking about Trump this, Biden this, Obama this, Bush this, like, politics this republicans are this like i don't hear it do you think whether that we were oblivious when we were younger that like because no. i don't remember i don't remember it being as intense as it is now no like when i was growing up in the church i do remember occasionally there would be some people who would talk politics and i knew one particular woman you know she was very much all about you know, she's very much liberal in her political thinking. And sometimes, you know, usually the pastors at the church that I've attended were very um, conservative in their thinking. So sometimes when, you know, and the pastor wouldn't preach politics, but sometimes he may say something that may allude to certain things. And I can know this woman would always confront the pastor, but they would have a conversation and they would talk. And it was, it wasn't like a shouting match. It was just like, Hey, I, I got your sermon. I understand your point of view, but here's kind of where I differ. And she would say her side and he would sit, he'd listen and he would talk and go, okay, you know, and then he'd ask some questions about that. Or it's like, well, here's what I'm seeing. And here's kind of what I'm hearing about what you're saying. And, and it was always very cordial. I mean, it, because I'm sure if it got very tense, that woman probably wouldn't be a member of that church for very long, but she, you know, 
and again, I've been gone from the church that I've grown up in for a while, so I don't even know if she still attends. But I mean, she's been a, at a member of that church for years, ever since I started attending that church. So definitely over 10 years. And I think any time when some of that those stuff happens, or even if there's a church member who's talking about, you know, a conservative political viewpoint on something, she was very good at talking with them. Sometimes she may get a little hyped up depending on, you know, maybe she'd get a little, you know, hyped a little bit, but they would all walk away. They agreed to disagreed and they still were able to worship with one another and worship Jesus Christ with one another in the same church, in the same space. And it was never an issue. It's like, even though that person's political view on a certain topic is different from my political view, we still love each other because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the oh, most I, important thing. And I think at the end of the day, like if, if we're Christ followers and we believe that Jesus is for us and is going to take care of us and we have salvation in him and ultimately we're going to be with him in the end, none of this matters. And the scripture says that earth, earthly things just don't matter at the end of the day. And so that could include uh, politics that could include political differences that can include um, things that we just don't agree about. Um, but I think one of the most fascinating things that I've learned over the last couple of years, especially um, in the place that I work is that, you know, people have very different opinions than I do. But when I sit down and have conversations with them, it's like, wow, maybe we're not so different after all. Maybe we have, differences on certain things but at least we can sit down and have a civil conversation with one another and they yeah. can agree with you know they can agree with what i agree with and i can agree with what they agree you know they believe in and you know the thing that i've really learned scott is that like people have a lot more in common than they think oh yeah if they just if they just sit down and have the conversation um and i said that before but that's what i believe democracy is and if you you watch the media, you watch the news, it's always one side or the other. There's really no, no, like, you know, center um, in, in respect to, to what people believe. Well, and I Go think, ahead. and I think that's the point. Like what you bring up, the they media, want you to, they want to drive, they want to drive a wedge between people. Well, and I think that's the thing with media. And I think kind of, you know, when we were growing up, we had the news and, you know, but then I think when we started seeing a ramp up in cable political news stations, and then I think once that started to kind of come into being, and actually it was funny, and I don't know if I still have this. I think I got rid of it. I had a buddy of mine who was at a conference when I was working at camp, and it was my director. Now, my director, I will say, very conservative with his political beliefs. You know, very, very conservative. There's no, there's no sugarcoating that. It is what it is. And he was at this Christian and camp conference thing that I wasn't able to attend to because I was out doing something. So he said, hey, I got you a gift. And he got me a book. And he said he got me the book because he thought the cover was very funny. Now, the book was basically an expose of Rupert Murdoch and how he had changed the political game at Fox News and all these things on how he kind of like caused like a division within the political news world. And I'm thinking, here's a conservative man 
who got me a book that has bashing conservatism and <laughs> didn't even know it. So, but I remember reading some of this books. I'm like, what is this? And I'm reading through this book. And it was fascinating because they kind of point to with the creation of your CNN and your Fox News and those cable news channels, that's when you started to kind of see the creation. And most of them are trying to be newsworthy sources. So they're trying to be unbiased, but eventually, you know, hey, we noticed that people, this particular demographic are really enjoying our program. So we're going to lean into, because that's going to increase our share. That's going to increase our profits. Same thing over here. And then that's when you started to see that wedge happen. And now, very rarely, I think if I think if I was to do a quick search, very rarely, most people will get their news sources from a cable news outlet that has a leaning either one way or the other. And I think that I don't particularly, this is just my opinion, but I think the thing that I particularly don't like about cable news stations is that when they talk about people who have a different political view or different political policies, they use language to consider them as enemies. They are an enemy to our democracy. They are political terrorists. And I think it's these buzzwords that people use. And again, if I'm a person who likes to watch, let's just say I like to watch CNN and I'm watching that and I'm hearing, man, those Republicans are evil. They're snakes. They're, they're criminals. They're this and that. And I'm hearing that. Then if, and then if you, Micah, are someone who is very conservative and you love to watch Fox News and that's your thing, if we try to sit down at a table and have a conversation about a political charge topic, immediately we're not going to be able to see eye and eye. And I don't think we would be able to be cordial because what has been what has been circulating from what has been coming into our eyes and through our ears by watching these things has been buzzwords that say that you who have a different opinion than I do, who has a different po political view or a political party, you are the enemy. Mm -hmm. And I think when we listen to those buzzwords and we get into it, it's very easy for me to go to a church and I love Jesus, and I know you love Jesus, but we're going into a church, and the moment we start, you or I start talking about a political topic that we disagree with, we're not going to be cordial. We're probably going to yell and probably going to get to the point where either I'm going to leave the church or you're going to leave the church, or we're both going to leave the church because we don't know. It's like, well, we're both leaving the church. We're just going to go find our own church that fits with our own political ideology, which, again, the survey says that's becoming more common now. And I think a lot of that has to do with the media and just the type of buzzwords and language they use to describe people who think differently or have a different political view than what they do. And I think that's kind of, and I think that is seeping into our church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, what a, <laughs> what a conversation. Um, it's just, it's very difficult in this day and age to have those conversations. And um, I remember speaking of grad school, the last, I think it was last spring, spring of 23. Um, I found out, or I found, um, found out what one of my research papers was going to be about. And so like uh, 
the class I was taking was the history of education in America. Mm. And it was probably my favorite class, if I'm being honest, um, in, in this master's program. And my professor was phenomenal. Uh, her name is Dr. Kate Ruminier. And she, um, she actually works in politics in the city of Oxford. Um, and she's, she's had political office for a number of years and she's just a great professor. Um, but like my paper for that class was the Truman project. Have you ever heard of or the Truman commission? Have you ever heard about the Truman commission? No, I have not. So president Truman was president during, um, uh, I want to say world war one. Um, but anyway, uh, he, he, it was a piece of legislation that president Truman put into into legislation um, that allowed uh, people to go to college. Like it was like basically the genesis of the GI bill. Um, And uh, so part of the research I had to write uh, was interviewing some people about the Truman commission. And so I called um, one of my favorite teachers from high school, um, his name is Mr. Uh, it's, it's Tony Kowalewski. He's a just a phenomenal teacher. He's retired now. Um, he that class was probably my favorite class in high school because he took the the, the idea was uh, he taught American history. So like it took every presidential election from President Lincoln and the Civil War to present, which at that point when I was in high school was I think Bush's first term. And so like what he did was he. And this was this is a great way I think people should like think about things. But like he he did like who was running, who was the incumbent, who was their vice president, who was the Republican, who was the Democrat, and who was the independent if there was an independent on the ticket. And they literally went through, you know, every election and where the country was at that point in time, whether it was the Great Depression, whether it was we were at war with Vietnam, whatever. And so I was like, who better to call than this guy for this paper? And so Tony is a very progressive person ideologically, and um, he knows that I'm fairly conservative. But he and I spent an hour and a half on the phone talking about the Truman Commission Mm. and all the reasons that it benefited those in America. Truman was a was a Democrat. Not that it matters, but he was a Democrat. But that piece of legislation was one of the, the most um thought after pieces of legislation and people you know people disagree with it uh now because you know it's like why are we given you know like the whole conversation about um mm-hmm. you know free college or getting rid of college or paying off student loans um yeah and i'm just going to read it real quick so truman senate resolution 71 approved unanimously on march in 1941 created the Senate Special Committee to investigate the National Defense Program, commonly known as the Truman Committee. Um, and the Truman Commission uh, improved college access and equity, expanding the role of community colleges and restructuring federal government's role in how funding higher education worked. So all that to say, um, I think it's just it's fascinating that like the news and the media persuade you one way or another. And it's like back then people didn't really know about it because it was spread by word of mouth because of newspapers. 
mm-hmm. right? Like it wasn't like you could flip on Fox News on your phone or CNN or MSNBC or NBC or CBS or ABC. Um, we just have an unlimited uh, access to these news outlets. And um, I think too, like, and I'm guilty of this, but like, if I think it's funny, like it should be a social experiment, right? Like if you, if you're a fairly progressive person, turn on a conservative network and see if you don't react a certain way and do, do the opposite with, if you're a fairly conservative person, put it on a progressive station and see how long it takes you to, to react to something that you don't agree with. But, um, you know, I find myself scrolling through TikTok, and if you can, if you can show bias, right. And, and, and know that, you know, you're not going to form an opinion one way or another, you can see, um, see how how some of these networks are towards certain individuals that are running you know for political office and it's <laughs> last week right um so they're in we're in primary season right now and so the republicans are are trying to to to, to solidify who the who the nominee is going to be presumably trump and a rematch against biden in 24 um but last week i was slipping through tiktok and they had what was it new hampshire Last week, they had the New Hampshire primary, I, think I believe so, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Trump wins New Hampshire. And so the next day after Trump wins New Hampshire, NBC is on TikTok and they're like, so Nikki, Nikki Haley still has a path. <laughs> and they're like, they don't like Trump. And it's evident that they don't like Trump, I guess is what I'm saying. And so like you could just see that they're like, so what – so, so presumably Nikki Haley still has a path. What is that path? Tell me that path. And the guy was like, she literally has to win everything <laughs> from here on out. And there's no chance that she's going to win anything from here on out. Like she, or I'm, I'm sorry, everything from here on out. So um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. The bias that you can see if you can, if you can be objective when you're watching, you know, uh, news on the, on TV or on your phone or whatever, it's just funny that you can see certain anchors and certain networks digging at the opposite side. And it's like, that's not democracy. Like what's democracy? Like let's have a conversation and like what's best for the country at this point in history. Um, And to circle back with the whole church conversation, it's like, yes, there are moments in the new Testament, you know, especially in the Pauline epistles where, you know, it talks about the law of the land and how we should pray for political leaders um, but it's, it's hard. It's muddy. It's sticky. I, I just, I don't envy a senior pastor, especially during this season. Um, because it's inevitable, right? Like you're going to have people that don't agree with you politically regardless. And, um, I would, what I would say to that is like, you know, go to the church down the street. Maybe they would, they, maybe they agree more in line with what you agree, but then does that really fix the problem? Because it's just, you know, you're going somewhere where people agree with you. Yeah. Well, well, that's go ahead. No. And I think, I think you're right. And I think that's the thing. If I go somewhere to a church that people agree with me politically, then, and you know, okay, I don't have to deal with the headaches. I don't have to, deal with the unity if there is political talk it's not going to make me cringe if it's different from my own political view 
But the problem is, is when we look at what the church is supposed to be, originally you had Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans mm -hmm. worshiping together. I mean, I've been teaching confirmation at um, the church and we talked about Jesus in the early church. And the thing about the early church is you had the upper class and the lower class meeting in homes, worshiping God together, which in the Roman government was seen as almost a heresy or outrageous or was unfathomable that that would happen. Jews and Gentiles worshiping and breaking bread together. That would, how's this happening? So the, it would almost be like if we took what's happening in our political structure today within our churches, it's almost like the only people who can sit at the table of a conservative church are conservatives. And the door is closed to any of the people who have a non-conservative political viewpoint. And I think that's, and if that's the direction the church is going, where more and more people want to go to churches that with people who fit their political ideology, I see that as a huge, huge issue. And especially see that as kind of, you know, for most churches, that's going to be their downfall. That's what's going to cause them to close their doors because eventually, like you said, you know, if the best policy within our country right now is to have more of a Democrat in office than a Republican, depending on what's happening in our country, then those churches who are all, you know, conservatives or all Democrats, what are they going to do? Because they're going to say, oh, this person's evil, but then you're seeing how things are actually growing and improving within our country. And you're going to have to look at it and say, well, how's this person awesome if we're seeing all this good stuff happening within our country. Like it's going to be very difficult, which is why I struggle because originally my viewpoint is politics should have no place in church period. Right. And as Christians, we shouldn't even be. And I, I was to the extreme where Christians, we should not even be engaged in political conversations. I got pushed back on that. Of course says, Oh no, we should. But my main thing is it's like, well, if I start taking the side of politics and that's going to be kind of, I don't want that to become the focal point of how I live my life versus my Christian faith. Because when I'm going and I'm talking to people and I'm showing the world and I'm proclaiming the world about how I believe Jesus is real and that the kingdom of God and the kingdom life is the best life to live. I need to show that through my example and not through through my love of Jesus and through my faith and not through my political ideology. Mm. Well, um, people will just say that I think what people should say is Jesus is on the throne, right? Like it, yeah. this, none of this matters is because Jesus is on the throne. So um, yeah, I, uh, it just, can we fast forward a year? <laughs> well I, I i think so but i think what we can do I, I i don't think we can fast forward a year we don't have that click like adam sandler does but uh yes. that remote but or a delorean but for me i think what we can do as christians in a political season is first of all don't make this year be about politics even though it's a political year if you're a christian make sure it's about the kingdom of god Make sure it's about Christ and let that be your focal point and let that be the foundation. And then when you're having a political conversation with somebody, whether outside of church or if you happen to have an inside of church, you know, 
always remember that I'm a Christian, Jesus sits on the throne, and I'm supposed to love others. I'm supposed to love God and love others. And if I can do those things well, that even people who are different to me, people who have a different point of view or different ideology than I do, I can still be their friend. I can still love them. I can still have a debate with them. But at the end of the day, that person is made in the image of God. That's a person that Jesus died on the cross for. So if Jesus died on the cross for this person who has a different political view than I do, it is my responsibility because of Jesus' death and resurrection to love that person as Christ would love them. And that has to be the thing. I think the second thing, too, is if there is political conversations in your church, uh, put it to bed very quickly. Don't let it go on. And even if you're in agreement with this, what the conversation is going for or someone's point of view— Put it to stop and let them, hey, we are a church. We are not We are not the Republican headquarters. We're not the Democrat headquarters. Uh, we are not a nonprofit organization. We are not a social club. We are a church. And our what we should be representing is Jesus Christ, not the elephant or the donkey. Those are the things we're not representing. We are representing the lion and the lamb. Um, mm. So I think those are the things that we have to keep in mind. I think if Church leaders, if we can kind of easily, like immediately put to bed all that political talk, or if you know it's becoming a problem, someone's bringing it, you know, you got to nip it in the bud. Even though you know this person's a good person and you love them and you know that they love the church and they love Jesus, you're going to have to say, hey, I know you're a greeter, but you can't be talking about how awful the president job of the president's doing every time when someone's coming into good bulletin before they walk into a sanctuary. Like, don't be doing that. Like, that's, you can say them, you can talk about Jesus. Don't be talking about politics right when we're about to have service. Don't do it. So that's my, that's my uh, closing Your remarks. Old sermonette. That's my closing <laughs> remarks of this podcast, my sermonette, my final word. <laughs> I think you nailed it. I think we just need to be loving and, and, and tolerant, especially during this, this season and, um, love like Jesus would. Yeah, absolutely. So friends, we want to hear from you. Like what has been your experience during the political season within your church? Do you feel that your church is pretty neutral, that you don't hear the political talk in your church? Or maybe it's like, man, every time I walk through that door, by the time I walk through that door, by the time I walk out of it, I'm always hearing at least multiple political conversations throughout the entire time I'm inside the church. We would like to know what you think, what your thoughts are about this topic. Um, again, you can comment on both of our uh, podcast channel, on our uh, YouTube channel, The Scott Stedman uh, Ministers, Scott, through Scott Stedman Ministries, or you can go to our website, thescottstedman.com, right in the comment section, or send us an email, and uh, we will definitely be reading it as far as our mail call um, on our next episode. So friends, thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day and stay diligent. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.